Yes. I mean, I'm not saying it's a sexual show, but if I were to try to outline a date and the date ends the way maybe I want, there is a bridge. The office is a bridge for getting to that destination. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Now, here's your host, Grant Bills. Records show that there was really big Kevin Durant news today in the NBA world, and I'm not going to talk about it tonight because I can read a room. I know that's not what you want. It's not why you turned on this show today. You're not, not looking for NBA news, but I do want credit for this. I want credit for it, and I want credit for a couple of months ago when this story broke and as the story developed, I said, this whole ordeal is a mirror image of what happened with Rodgers and the Packers in the 2021 offseason. Rodgers is basically firing from the hip, saying, trade me or else. And the Packers are like, well, what's the or else? You're going to retire? Okay, go ahead. <laughs> go, go ahead. And Rodgers is like, I'm really mad. The Packers and, and Packers fans are like, oh, okay, why? Rodgers think, uh, it's the it's the people. It's the people. It's about the people, you know. It's about the people. Packers are thinking, oh, okay, so... Uh, you just call us when you're ready to come back. You just want to wait until training camp. That's fine. You don't need to be at OTAs, I guess. But we'll see you in August because you're under contract, buddy. And he came back, and it was great. And the team got a number one seed, and he won an MVP, and the season was really successful, you know, until it wasn't. But that's not the point. This whole ordeal with Kevin Durant and the Nets, mirror image of what happened with Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, never really made sense for him to want to leave other than he's, you know, a different cat. He's a complicated fella, as is Kevin Durant. And I just want credit for not talking about this on the show tonight. I'm not going to subject you to NBA talk in August. I know that's not what you want. Although sometimes you can't always get what you want. Sometimes you need to get what you need. Maybe a little Kevin Durant talk would be good for all of you tonight. But I, again, not going to do it. Not going to subject you to that. Let's talk about the Packers. Talk about the Brewers. This is the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. Okay, now I'm done talking about it. Now I I want credit from here on out from not talking about it. That was the point. That was the point I was making. I hope you're having an excellent day so far. My name is Grant Bills. Again, on Twitter, at Wisco Grant. If you want to text and call the show, you can. 608-796-2558. Two hard-hitting guests tonight. Two very hard-hitting guests. David, David, we had to bump David Gasper tonight. I'm not happy about it. I saw Gasper on Saturday in downtown La Crosse. We had some nice conversations, and I think he's going to come on tomorrow. But I don't feel good about bumping him out of his Tuesday spot. I'm I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna feel bad when I lay down to go to sleep tonight and and remember how I bumped David Gasper out of his spot. It's his spot. Uh, but tonight it's gonna be Bill Michaels. Bill Michaels is gonna join us at about four thirty-five. He was at the Packer game on Friday night, and I want to get his thoughts, what he saw at Lambeau, and just connect with the big unit. Be fun to talk to him. And he went to the Jimmy Buffett concert on Saturday night. And selfishly, I kind of want a concert review. I like concert reviews, so we can tie that in with whatever he saw at the Packer game and what he thinks of Jordan Love and training camp so far. So we'll talk to the big unit, Bill Michaels, at 435. Mike Clements will be here at 530, at least I think. Mike and I have gotten to the point now where we just have a little bit of a rhythm. Every Tuesday, Thursday, we've been doing hits. And I did text him about an hour ago. I haven't heard back, probably because he's busy and he's working all the time and he's out there getting audio and crowding around Aaron Rodgers' locker getting the mic in his face. So I think he's just busy. I think we'll have Mike Clemens at 5.30. I think we're to that point where it's just assumed now. 
But then again, David Gasper probably woke up this morning assuming he was going to come on too and did not turn out to be the case. So <laughs> we'll see. Mike Clemens should be here at 535. I've got a text confirmation from Bill. I got the thumbs up. He's good for 435, so a couple of fun guests tonight. Again, you can text and call if you want to jump in. 608-796-2558. Let's start with the Brewers, ladies and gentlemen. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. We're starting with the Brewers. Packers can wait 15 minutes or so. Then we're going to mostly talk about the Packers, but we're going to start with the Brewers. By golly. I tweeted I tweeted this last night as the game was wrapping up at Wisco Grant. I wonder what time it was. I was awake until like 1.30. I don't think I needed to be. I think the game was done. Yeah, I tweeted this at 12.16, and I repeated this very sentiment on Ebo's award-winning program this morning over the line when I joined his show at 7.40. I tweeted this last night. I said it this morning, and I still believe it to be true. One of the finest games of Brewers baseball I've had the privilege and honor of watching this season. What a great game. And if you went to bed... I don't blame you. It's late as hell, and this team really kind of seems lifeless right now. It seems like an easy choice to make. Get some sleep. However, I knew I was going on Ebo's show in the morning, and I knew that Ebo probably wasn't going to stay up because he's a morning show guy. I wouldn't expect him to stay awake for a Brewers game this time of year. No, no, no. But selfishly, I thought I will stay up for the Brewers game, and then when I go on Ebo's show tomorrow, I can hold that over him. I can best him by saying I'm more dedicated. It never came up in conversation this morning, but I, I did have that bullet in the clip. I needed to, I needed to fire it, but it turned out to be an awesome game. I'm glad I stayed up. It was one of the best games of Brewers baseball I watched all year. Truly, it's been weeks, maybe months, since a game of Brewers baseball gave me that much joy and satisfaction. It felt good. Brewers winning four to nothing. A Luis Urias home run, a Christian Yelich RBI double, a Luis Urias sack fly, and a Keston Hira big home run in the eighth. That was me miming his swing. Way out to left center field. That was the exclamation point on the game. For the last month or so, every Brewers win has felt a little bit like pulling teeth. And I think we've talked about that on this show. We've highlighted that. Said, even when they win, even when this Brewers team wins, it doesn't feel good. Feel like you're getting away with something. Feel relief when the Brewers have won the last couple of weeks. You haven't felt joy. You felt relief. You're like, oh, thank God. They didn't blow it. There's a big difference, right? Some wins just don't feel as good. I think to the Packers season last year when they beat Tyler Huntley in the Ravens. And then if it wasn't the next week, it was very, very shortly afterwards. They beat the Browns. That was on Christmas. And neither one of those games made me feel great. Now they won and I was relieved that they won. I thought, oh boy, glad, glad we got that win. But it didn't feel great. It wasn't a resounding confidence building win. There are levels to wins, right? Some wins leave you feeling pure ecstasy. It's like, oh, it's the best one ever. We weren't supposed to win that one, and look what we did. Or we blew out the opponent. To stick with the Packers example, think of that game against the Titans in the snow, Sunday night football two years ago. Oh, that was great. Some wins leave you feeling awesome. Other wins have you feeling relief, like you escaped, right? Like, think of your boss calling you into their office. It's like, oh, boy, this doesn't seem good. There's a big difference between getting a raise and not getting fired, right? You still have your job in both instances, but very different feelings coming out of that meeting, right? Oh, I got a raise. Hell yeah. Or whew, another day I'm still employed in a highly volatile workplace. Although I don't think it's so volatile anymore compared to 2020. Nobody wants to work anymore. So those of us who have jobs, we're more valuable than ever, right? Big difference between getting a raise 
and not getting fired. Just like there's a big difference between the Brewers wins that we've seen for the last month, which have been nail-biting, painful, painful, painful processes. And then last night, which was great. That win reminded me of the wins that the Brewers were getting in Fenway in Boston, you know, right before David Stearns and company shot the team in the stomach by doing what they did. This offense isn't perfect, still has slow stretches, but those insurance runs coming late in the game in the eighth inning. Woo, that's what made the game. And it reminded me of those wins at Fenway. They were commanding. They went out and got it. It might have been close until the seventh or the eighth inning, but in that eighth inning, the Brewers put their foot down and they said, no, we're not just going to escape with this game. We're going we're gonna to put our, 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 our stamp on it. And that's what the Brewers did last night too, right? I think going into that seventh inning, you're like, okay, feeling, feeling okay, feeling pretty good. I guess we're up one to nothing on the Dodgers. If you win a game one, nothing, it's still a win. And it's a really harder win over the Dodgers. The Dodgers hadn't been shut out at home all year long. And I think as that game rolled along, we all thought, okay, so they're going to win this game one to zero, or they're going to lose this game. Cause that's how the Brewers have operated for the last couple of weeks. Then we get into the eighth inning, and we get a Christian Yelich RBI double and a Luis Urias, and it's three to nothing after Luis Urias' sack fly. And I'm thinking, all right, nice game. This is a this is a B plus game. And then here I hit that home run. Oh, that made it an A plus. That was a big gift with a with a bow wrapped up in wrapping paper for anyone that stayed up to watch that game last night. That, that I was getting greedy. I was sitting on my couch. Brewers are up 3 nothing, and it's like 12-15 in the morning. And I'm thinking, come on, Hira. Just lie into one. Really put an exclamation point on this game. And he did it, and it was awesome. Now Keston Hira launches one to deep left field. It's in the bleachers. Another one for Hira. His third in two days, and Mama and Papa love it. Oh, Mom and Dad are in the stands. Awesome, awesome moment. Now, I was hoping for a good soundbite from Craig Council after the game about Keston Hira. I don't know if it's because he wasn't asked about Keston Hira or, you know, sometimes in those videos that like Valley Sports Wisconsin posts on Twitter and they have the three-minute press conference. Sometimes you can't always hear the reporters. I think before this answer, answer counsel was asked about that eighth inning, of which Hira's home run was, you know, was a part of it. Uh, and I wanted to comment about here, and we didn't really get one. We instead kind of got one, uh, just a remark on late inning insurance runs. We've played so many close games lately um, that uh, to, to put a little gap in there and, and give us a little breathing room in the ninth was was obviously really nice. I was hoping for a little bit of a better comment on Hira, who's just rocking right now. Since July 1st, Keston here against right-handed pitching. Ready for this? Sitting 393, an OBP of 414. Nice. Slugging of 964, OPS of 1300. A WRC plus, totally know what this means, 278. Wow, that's great. Uh, and a strikeout percentage of 27%, which does seems really high, but not as high as we've seen in stretches with Keston here and certainly not as high as it is against lefties. He's crushing right now. So if you are wondering, as I heard Rowdy wondering on Over the Line yesterday morning, our morning program along across, uh, across a lot of this network, he said, why should I, I wonder if I can do a Rowdy. Why should I be a Brewers fan? I don't really have a good Rowdy, but I'll, I'll workshop it. Why should I be a Brewers fan anymore? Give me one reason why I should keep being a Brewers fan. Well, because we were born here and we're stuck with them. Okay, why do we do anything sports-related? It's, it's not rational. It's we're, we born, we're born here so we cheer for the team. Cheering for Keston here right now is the reason why I'm kind of excited to turn on the game every night because if he can finish the season strong, I feel great, even if Christian Yelich continues to be a turd. Hey, Christian Yelich threw out a base runner last night. No Christian Yelich slander from me on the show tonight see what happens tonight and going into tomorrow, but I think he's earned 
a kind 24 hours of talk from Brewers fans. Yesterday, I teetered on the Brewers a little bit to begin the show. I rode the fence a little bit, which, whatever. I don't know that it matters right now. I think we're still all trying to figure out what this team is. We don't think they're very good, but I think there's a sliver. I think there's a possibility, a little bit of a chance that this team could still become something. And to start the show yesterday, I, I tried to stick a fork in the Brewers, and then about 20 minutes into the show, I'm like, what? Maybe, maybe, just maybe, because of this, that, and the other thing, maybe they could still get hot and play some really good baseball. If I was a public relations expert or a lawyer, and David Stearns came to me with a big check, and he said, Mr. Bills, host of the Wisco Sports Show, I need you to convince this fan base that this team has a chance. We, we want to get people in the turnstiles for the last month. The team is hurting financially, Mr. Bills, and, and we just need folks in the stands. Please drum up some excitement. Sell these folks a bill of goods on why this team is, is still competitive. Please, we need you. And he handed me the check, and I said, okay, Mr. Stearns, I'll do this for you and Mr. Arnold, the general manager. Now, not for Mark Atanasio, but seeing you ask me nicely, I will do this for you. And I had to make the case for Brewers fandom. It would be something like this. I'm just imagining myself in a courtroom in front of a jury of Brewers fans. I'd say... <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I don't, I don't know why I said it like that. I don't, I don't know why my, my lawyer voice defaults to John Goodman. I, I don't know where that came from. I'm sorry about that. This is what I would say. Okay, voice aside. Ladies and gentlemen, the Brewers have been on the decline since July 1st. At least that's what you would tell me. That's what this fan base seems to believe. It seems what the general public seems to believe. 12 and 15 in the month of June. 13 and 11 in the month of July. Most of those wins coming before a very destructive trade deadline. 8 and 11 so far in August. 50 and 49. Only one game over 500 since the month of April. A month where it was nice. They went 15 and 7, but not one month of April does the season make. Ladies and gentlemen, I ask you this. Since when does the month of May define Craig Council as a manager? Since when have July and August told the story of a season since when has that been the case ladies and gentlemen we don't call it craig timber because of the beautiful fall foliage in craig council's native whitefish bay oh no look 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 ahead to the month of september 15 of the brewers final 21 games at american family field with two days off the final three weeks i think i i think i mixed that up i think it's three days off in the final two weeks i think i wrote that down correctly Three days off in the final two weeks. Craig Council licking his chops. The sound of that. Last night's game, did you happen to see Craig Council navigating the most dangerous lineup in Major League Baseball using five different pitchers? Didn't even use Taylor Rogers or Devin Williams. Actually might have let the Dodgers off easy. The Dodgers only had to see one inning of Jason Alexander. Lucky, lucky Dodgers. They only had to deal with him for, three, for four batters. <laughs> in the eighth. In the eighth inning last night, and I mean this genuinely, do you see Craig Council come out of the dugout in the eighth inning after Hobie Milner gets Freddie Freeman, and then they're going to go to Matt Bush? You see Craig Council pops out of the dugout, smacking his hand, smacking his gum. There was some legit pep in Craig Council's step last night. I think that he's starting to get this team dialed in. He's got these new bullpen arms figured out. He's figured out what buttons to push when, and he's looking down the runway right now at the month of September, a lot of off days. A lot of winnable games, a lot of games at home. I'm just saying, folks, this team might suck, but also they they might they might not. They might do it. They, they might do it. They might. They could. I wouldn't bet money on it. For example, if, you know, the Brewers 
go out tonight and lose six to nothing. This this is a fun exercise, but don't hold it against me. Let's take a break. Come back, get into the Packers. Bill Michaels, we got to get to him at 435. 608-796-2558 if you want to share your thoughts on the Brewers or join in. I got some Rogers audio complimenting some of his young wide receivers. Nice change of pace from what we saw last week when he was bemoaning them was the word that I kept seeing anywhere. So we'll listen in a little bit to what Rogers has to say about Romeo Dubs, Christian Watson, and then we'll talk to Bill Michaels, get some Packers takes from him. That's all coming up next on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show started the show with just a little brewers, a little touch of brewers. Got to shout them out after last night. That was one of my favorite brewer games of the year. It was a blast. And I think it was it was a very tribal thing last night at 12.15 in the morning. Or I guess this morning at 12.15 in the morning, whatever. It was very tribal because I was just so deep in Brewers Twitter last night. And it felt like there were, you know, 10 or 15 of us. We're the only people tweeting. We're the only ones awake. And it's like, yeah, this is our thing. We're, we're going through this together at 12.15 in the morning. It was just an awesome finish. Keston Hero put the exclamation point on it. And then Jason Alexander slammed the door. High leverage reliever Jason Alexander. Find you a pitcher that can be a high caliber, high leverage, high octane starting pitcher. An innings eater like Jason Alexander was this year. Who can then turn around weeks later and close out a game. And I say close loosely because it was a four run lead, not a three run lead, but pert near close enough. Jason Alexander, jack of all trades. Master of none, absolutely, yes. But a nice, funny moment. And Craig Council getting a little gutsy last night. Maybe getting a little too cute, but it worked out for him. Brewers win four to nothing. I was trying to make the case, if the Brewers hired me to be a lawyer or a public relations agent to try to convince the fan base that they were about to go on a run, I tried to make my case. And I broke out a lawyer voice. I'm not sure where it came from, where I said, ladies and gentlemen of the jury... And Eau Claire Chris texted in. He says, you watched the B-movie when you were little. That's where your John Goodman lawyer accent comes from. And you're right. That's absolutely where that came from. God, that's a, that's a great film. You like jazz? That's such a terrible movie. It's so bad, it's good. God, I love Seinfeld. We were talking about Seinfeld yesterday on the show, too. The reservation thing. You know how to take the reservation. But you don't know how to keep the reservation which is arguably the most important part of the reservation. Thank you for the text, Chris. 608-796-2558. Twitter, at Wisco Grant. Bill Michael's going to join us in a few minutes. He was at the preseason game on Friday night. But uh, more importantly, he was at the Jimmy Buffett show on Saturday night. I don't want to hear about it. I'm not going to bemoan that topic, to use an Aaron Rodgers word. I don't even know if that's correctly used, but you get the point. I'm not going to dwell on the Jimmy Buffett show for 10 minutes, mostly because I don't think Bill wants to talk about it. If it was Justin Garcia... Our, our native deadhead and jam band correspondent, I would make him talk about it for 10 minutes, but I don't think Bill wants to do that. Before we get to Bill, I want to hear a little bit from Aaron Rodgers because we focused so much last week and even a little bit yesterday about all the negative things that he had to say about his young wide receivers. Drops and inconsistencies and all these things that need to get better. And actually yesterday, he said some great things both about Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs. Matt Schneidman tweeted out the video, and that was the video I shared, mostly because Mike Clemens' face was in it, and that made me laugh. He was really gripping the, the side of that locker, doing a, a reach-around of sorts. And I heard Ebo and, <laughs> Ebo and Zach talking about that this morning. 
Aaron Rodgers, let's start with Christian Watson because we haven't heard uh, much about this guy. I thought he was pretty good yesterday. I thought he was pretty good today. So he asks a lot of questions. He cares about it. He comes over and you know, tries to get on the same page. And if anything happens, whether it's good or bad and different, so I enjoy his approach. But he's got, you know, he's got a different skill set. He's a big body who can run. And just got to get him a little more consistent, I think, uh, tracking the ball down the field. But he made a nice play in the two-minute uh, right there. So the thing that, that I've seen with him is just mentally the improvement uh, from from day to day. Yesterday we did a kind of spur of the moment adjustment in a, in a period. And I told him what to do in the huddle. And it's something he's never done before. And he went out and did it perfect. And it's those little things like that that start to gain that trust and that confidence and um, get you excited about things. Interesting. Improving with a rookie wide receiver that's been on the PUP, just barely started practicing. I mean, that's throwing a young guy into the fire. When Aaron Rodgers comes to you before a play and says, hey, I know you're trying to learn all this this offense and there's a million pages in the playbook and, and you're trying to learn it all and trying to absorb it all and uh, so forget everything you've heard on uh, this play. We're going to do this. All right, ready, break. Let's go. And his ability to then go out and do it, it bodes pretty well for his compatibility. Let's call it with Aaron Rodgers. I think you need to be able to freelance. You need to be able to roll with the punches. You need to be able to be resilient. As we talked about with Romeo Dobbs, you need to be able to make a, make a mistake and then get yelled at for it and then come back the next play and be fine with it. There's a lot of skills. We need to make a list of important skills Wide receivers need to play with Aaron Rodgers. I'm actually going to grab a scratch piece of paper. I think this is a worthwhile list to make. I think we can add things to this as we watch these young guys the remainder of the preseason and especially as we get into the regular season. Build your perfect wide receiver to pair with Aaron Rodgers mentally, physically. What do they need? Well, the ability to freelance. That's a big one. Aaron Rodgers saying Christian Watson can do that. He continues about Romeo Dobbs. Dobbs done a lot of really nice things, but I think the standard for him is not going to be maybe the standard for, for a normal rookie that we've had here in the past, especially in the past, I don't know, four or five years. Um, you know, because he's going to be expected to play uh, based on his performance so far at camp. So we got to hold him to... Uh, to a standard that I know he's capable of reaching. But he cares about it. He's a great kid. He's made some instinctual plays that are, you know, just can't really coach. You know, I ran a little, a little uh, uh, you know, uh, in and back out in the game. And at the top of the route, you know, there's a guy right there. And instead of kind of drifting on it and letting the guy make the play, he comes hard back with the ball, strong hands. And that's, you know, he likes seeing those plays. It gives you confidence and I'm not throwing him that ball. But but it gives you confidence that he's capable of doing some things that might not be on the paper offer. I remember back when the draft happened and they took Romeo Dobbs, Christian Watson, Samari Toure, I suppose, and Danny Davis, who RIP was cut today. It was fun using him for a, a Badgers take for a week. <laughs> him and Kendrick Pryor. If these guys turn out to be studs, that's egg on the face of the Badgers. As if the Badgers don't already have a puke offense. We know they have a puke offense. We didn't need to see that play out in the NFL. But... You know, thank you, Danny Davis, for the takes, for the segments. Maybe a practice squad guy, I could certainly see it. Not to dump on Danny Davis for no reason here. But I remember back when the draft happened and the Packers got this crop of young wide receivers and some new guys like Sammy Watkins and, you know, others they brought in. And Amari Rogers, of course, in year two. And I said back in April, I said, guys, I just want to warn you because something's going to happen during training camp and it's going to be insufferable. We're going to have a practice that doesn't go well. And Rodgers is going to mention it. And I don't think what he mentioned last week, as I've said, was, was anything out of line or anything like that. We're going to have a bad practice, and Rodgers is going to update on us. And then at that point forward, 
Rodgers is going to treat his press availability like a, a like a parent-teacher conference with the media. He is going to take it upon himself to loop us in on the progression of these young guys and how he feels and where they're at, and it, it's going to be obnoxious. Now, it hasn't been as obnoxious as maybe I thought, but it has played out exactly the way that I talked. Does anyone remember this months ago? Does anyone remember what I said? I said, in training camp, these Wednesday pressers or these locker room pressers, they'll be a little bit more of a firm schedule once the season actually starts. We are going to get these progress reports like parents at a parent-teacher conference. Here's the report card. Here's the check-in. Here's how the kid's doing. And Rogers is going to take it way too seriously. It hasn't been that obnoxious. He hasn't taken it that seriously, but we are following that general format. I remember talking about that a couple months ago. So, again, uh, give me credit for that. That and the fact that we're not talking about the Kevin Durant news tonight, although I desperately want to. We're going to talk to Bill Michaels. I want his thoughts. He was at the Packer game. He was at Lambeau on Friday night. He was also at Alpine Valley on Saturday for Buffett. So I want some reaction. I want a review of, of both events. Equally as important, both of them, in my mind. So we're going to talk both things with the big unit, Bill Michaels. He'll join the Wisco Sports Show coming up next. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show. Mike Clemens going to be here in one hour. We just heard a little Aaron Rodgers audio that I dug up talking about Romeo Dobbs, Christian Watson. He's not bemoaning his young wide receivers now. He's actually complimenting them. Wow. Rodgers has a soft side. So we'll talk maybe more about that with Mike Clemens in an hour. Right now, big unit, Bill Michaels is here. Uh, Bill, I might have told you about this. I can't remember. You gave me a heart attack on Saturday. I seriously almost had a heart attack because you on Saturday. <laughs> Do you, did, did I tell you about this? Did I text you about this? Well, I kind of know that I surprised you when I said, you know, are you going? And you had no idea what I was talking about. And we were talking about the reschedule of Jimmy Buffett. So yeah. uh, I kind of got that at the time. Yeah. You have, so you have the same initials as my boss. You have the same last name as my boss, or at least how it's saved in my phone. So I just quickly looked at the message and I thought you were my boss. And you're like, where are you? Are you coming? And I thought I was missing some super important work event that I forgot about. I was still in bed. And I'm like, oh, my God, what am I missing? And then I realized it was just, yeah, you asked my Buffett. How was the show on Saturday night? It was great. Uh, it was funny because it was predicting rain and thunderstorms all day, and we never got any. It was, uh, I want to say, 50-50 clouds to sun, but we had a lot of blue skies above us. Oh. We had, you know, we had a great tailgate. We had a lot of fun. Oh. Uh, the uh, the Walworth County Sheriff's Department treated us really well. We had a fun time with those guys. And we grilled out. We set up a big PA system. We had music cranking. Oh. And then we went into the show. And what they do for us and some of the people we take down there for charity events, yeah. they give us uh, the VIP. And we had a really nice area outside. As a matter of fact, uh, the president of our company, Tom Walker, joined us. Yeah. He came over for a while. And we got a little bit of rain. But after that, we went down and inside. And, oh, my God, what a, what a great time. And we went down to the chalet afterwards at Alpine Valley. Had pizzas and beverages and Oh yeah, it was it was a blast. Did a little karaoke and every, I didn't, Ooh. but people with me did. So we uh, they did that and it, it was a lot of fun. If if Jimmy comes back to Alpine Valley next summer, you got to see if he'll come on to promote his show. He doesn't need to promote it, but you can't hurt to ask, right? You know, throwing you see. No, we can we can, we can always ask. Yeah, we can always ask and find if there's a promoter that uh, would talk him into it. He's a weird dude. You ever met Jimmy? No, I have not. <laughs> No, I have not. No, I have not. He's, he's kind of a weird dude. Yeah, I had an, an uh, a, about 15 years ago, uh, we had a, a motorcycle gas tank that we were going to auction off, and we had all these celebrities sign it, and we thought it would be cool for him to sign it. 
and he's a he's a weird dude. They put it at the end of a hallway, yeah. told us to turn our backs, and then hold a camera backwards in the air so we could get his picture. And they said, okay, take the picture. And by the time we turned around, Jimmy was gone. And he doesn't like people to look at him. And he's just a weird dude, man. So was, so, uh, was, was that the time? Was, was, Go Chuck, ahead. was Chuck Freeman there? Because I think he told me this story once. If, if I mentioned to Chuck that I like Jimmy Buffett. He's like, oh, Buffett's the worst. Let me tell you about the time I met him. Was that the same? Was Chuck yeah, Freeman there? it was. Uh, yeah, I, I think Chuck. I can't remember if Chuck was there or I told Chuck about it. But we had a whole group of people that went. And it was part of uh, a part of Budweiser at the time because Budweiser used to be the sponsor, and it was just it's just a weird he's a weird I mean in person when he's kind of jovial on his own terms I yeah. guess he's a good guy but when it came to that sure. he didn't want us even looking at him you know to see him it was like he was the Phantom of the Opera or something you know it's kind of strange see, but you know he's, he's a fun party he's a he's a He's a great persona on stage. You'd never know he's weird. But then again, all artists are weird in one way or another. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I would love to sit front row and experience a close experience with any of my favorite artists. When it comes to meeting them, I, I don't know that I need to ruin it. I don't, I don't know. If they turn out to right. be weird or if yep. they turn out to be a jerk, that ruins it. I'm looking at the set. Yep. Oh, you got a Scarlet Begonias in the encore. This is, uh, I'm, a little, I'm a little bummed I missed this. But um, better to miss a Buffett concert than to miss a work event, which is what you scared me. I thought I was missing something super important on Saturday. When you text <laughs> Me. You were also at the Packer game on Friday night. We're chatting with Bill Michaels. It rained yep. a little bit, I saw. You were tweeting out the, the Doppler radar picture, but you were comfy in the press box. What did you notice, if yeah. anything, on Friday that maybe we wouldn't have noticed watching at home? Anything? Well, excuse me. I think that uh, the interesting thing was more so on the sidelines. You know, just you get a perspective. You get a chance to see the all 22 from up above. When, you know, guys are out for passes. Uh, I had talked about the, the Romeo Doves. And that pass that uh, Jordan Love threw to him, that that w went for 17 yards, and that was in a, that wasn't double, that was triple coverage. He had a safety over the top converging on him, and he laid it right into the middle of all three of those guys. And Dubs found that space, and it was it was picture perfect, which you don't see that very often out of Jordan Love, which was one of those moments where I thought, okay, I see some of this growth that everybody talks about now, even though you don't get a chance to see it on TV. So I saw that. I saw the play action fake where everybody went off to the to the left, defensively speaking. He rolled out to his left, which was their right, and had everybody kind of completely guessing wrong. I thought that was a solid play, even though Torrey didn't come up with the catch. But I thought it was a terrific play. So I saw some things, you know, there. I saw some things with I. I tell you what, Duffy McDuffie, yeah, that guy can hit. Yep. Uh, he he plays sideline to sideline, and they, he was impressive. He may not be in your television screen the whole time, but if you focused on him, holy mackerel, he's sideline to sideline. So all that kind of stuff was really good, and you get a chance to see that when you're actually there in person. So the, the linebacking core, I, I know, and I've listened to your show a lot longer than than I've been doing this show, and we've always talked about we need to get we need to get linebackers that can cover athletic guys. I mean, we've asked for that for like ten years, and the Packers have really just never shown an interest in it. Now with Campbell. And Quay Walker, but like I was watching Chris Barnes on Friday and I was like, this dude's flying around in McDuffie and this Abernathy guy too. It yep. seems like for the first time in a while, something we've wanted for 10 years, the Packers actually have guys, whether it be at linebacker, maybe that linebacker safety hybrid, guys that can actually fly around and, and hit. Yeah, it's, it, you're right. It's kind of a hybrid uh, of a big oversized safety playing middle linebacker. So uh, 100%, guys that like to hit, guys that can actually stuff the run a little bit as well. They can shoot the gap and blitz, get to a, get to a quarterback, but more so guys over the middle, 
uh, backs out of the backfield, things like that, they can actually cover. And uh, the nice thing about it is now they've got a defensive front to protect them, too. Yeah. You know, when you finally – we haven't seen Kenny Clark and Jerron Reed and those guys, but when finally those guys get in on a full-time basis, you're going to see the big bodies up front, Dean Lowry, Kenny Clark, Jerron Reed. Eventually those guys – Look at a guy like T.J. Slayton, another guy that showed flashes last year and showed me more this year. Yeah. So these guys, when they protect those those linebackers, whether it be inside or even outside, now you've got guys that don't have to shed a block and can cover. So things, defensively speaking anyway, knock on wood, should be a lot better in that area. Well, they just have options at positions they haven't had depth and options for a long time, like defensive line and linebacker, positions that we've been crying about for the last decade, and it seems like we're finally stacked up pretty well. Uh, Bill Michaels, last thing. Uh, what's the Jordan Love conversation been like, at least yesterday and today on your show? Because I know Ben Kenny was about to have an aneurysm with all the Danny Etling love. And, of course, he's on vacation now. So now folks are all right. hyped up about Jordan Love, and he doesn't even get to enjoy it. But what's the, the response been like to Jordan Love's game from your listeners on, on Friday or since Friday? Well, it's, you know, that's why we call it overreaction Monday. You know, I mean, if he has a bad game, everybody says he sucks. And if he has a good game, everybody says, okay, he's ready to take over and let Aaron Rodgers go. Um, so it's the overreaction Monday. It's, he had a good game. You know, I'm not going to lie. I mean, but, you know, first and foremost, your completion percentage has to be better than 50%, yeah. you know, to play in the National Football League. Yeah. So whether guys are dropping it or whether it's just hitting guys in the hands because it's not in the best space and they're just athletic enough to get to it and they're not athletic enough to pull it in. So I, you don't specifically know every pass. But, you know, I mean, he's got to be better completion percentage. But I think he had a good game. I, I, I think he played well. I, but that, you know, that to me is like it's one good game. And for those that say, well, he needs to play with the ones. He needs more looks. I mean, don't forget the guy practiced for Kansas City last year and practiced as the number one quarterback yeah. for the remainder of the season because Rodgers broke his toes. So all the, all, all the you know, installation of the playbook and all of those reps and snaps and timing, that was Jordan Love with the ones all season long until Rodgers actually took over on the field. So it's not like he hasn't had a look at these guys. They know what they got behind closed doors. They know he's good. He's not great. He's, he's maybe serviceable might be the best word, but that's an ugly word as a, as a quarterback yeah. in the National Football League. That's like saying that a pitching or a pitcher can eat innings for you. It's like, oh, well, that's a good, yeah. it's a good yeah. thing, but maybe not what you want to hear if you're excited about a pitcher or a quarterback. Well, we'll right. see what he does. Or, in, a, guy, or yeah. a guy throws strikes. You know, yeah, he yeah. can throw some strikes. He's okay. You know, <laughs> Yeah, okay. He'll get some outs. He's an out-getter, again, to quote uh, Craig Council. Yeah, I I get it completely. All right, Bill Michaels, I appreciate the time. Thank you for the Jimmy Buffett concert review. And uh, if Jimmy Buffett comes back to Alpine at some point, we got to try to get him on on your show. Oh, absolutely. It's it's a hell of a party. It's a lot of fun. Thanks, Bill. Have a good one. Appreciate the time. All right, buddy. That's Bill. That's Bill Michaels, the big unit. Hear him every day, 10 to 2 on the network. Some spots, I know it's 11 to 2. Got that Dan Patrick in the morning. We got some news. I guess not news, but a result. Oh, the Cardinals lost. First game of their doubleheader after winning, I believe it was eight in a row. So the Brewers, sliver of light. Yeah, Cubs blank the Cardinals 2-0, snapping an eight-game winning streak. Yep, Adam Wainwright compiled another quality start, but the Cardinals went 0-10 with runners in scoring position and left 11 runners on. Oh, brutal. Wouldn't want to be a Cardinals fan today. I... Before we continue the show, we're going to take a break, come back and talk more about the Packers. I don't want to get into the Brewers, but I just want to say, let's say the season started last night. Just refresh everything, fresh start, like in like in the other guys, Febreze Brothers, so fresh in here. Brand, 
Brewers are 1-0 since last night. Cardinals are 0-1. Let's see if maybe this isn't the start of something. Let's see. You know, Cardinals maybe have, have played out the hottest string of baseball that they can play. Knock on wood. Hopefully that's the case. And the Brewers are just starting to go up. They're on an upward trajectory. The Cardinals are plateauing or maybe ready to come back down. I'm just saying. Just saying. Just saying. If that doesn't happen, don't hold it against me. I'm just saying. Let's take a break. Come back in three minutes. Talk more about the Packers. Some more Aaron Rodgers audio. We can revisit anything I just talked about with Bill. I'd love your texts and calls as well. 608-796-2558. Excuse me. Wisco Sports Show back in three minutes. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show. We thank Bill for a couple of minutes on the show tonight. That's Bill Michaels. You hear him on our network every day. He's on Twitter at, you know. Bill Mike, you know Bill. We don't have to do this whole thing with him. But I do appreciate his time. We need to get Ebo on the show. So someone come up with an idea of what we can have Ebo on to talk about. Ebo is being a little sassy this morning. Now, I try not to overburden Ebo by asking him to come on the show the same way I might with, you know, Zach or a couple other folks. David Gasper, Mike Clements, you know, all these guys doing once, twice a week. And Ebo, I'm like, I don't want to burden him. I I think he feels a little left out. Uh, after talking with him this morning. So someone come up with an idea of a reason we can have Ebo on because he's, yeah, he, he's sad. I could tell this morning. He, want, he wants to come on. So if anyone has an idea, I am spitballing ideas and maybe you can help me come up with ideas. I'm building a list of traits that a, a young wide receiver needs to succeed with Aaron Rodgers. And so far I have freelancing as Rodgers talked about in the case of Christian Watson. And we heard that about a half hour ago. Maybe I'll play that again here in a minute. And I have resilient. And then in parentheses, this is just a joke to me, but maybe some of you will get it. Uh, Mario Chalmers attitude. Remember Mario Chalmers on the LeBron James heat when he would just, he would just be the guy that everyone yelled at. Like if the game didn't go well or the play didn't work or, or a quarter was poor, they would just yell at Mario Chalmers, even if it wasn't his fault. And that was his role. He, he just took the bullets so everyone else could stay clean. All right. So I, but that's, again, more just a joke to me. So, so far, we have freelancing. Got to be able to freelance. And resilient. You got to be able to have a bad play and then bounce back and make a good one. So, for context, where we got those two bullet points, I'm going to play these clips again. Think of other traits. What else do young wide receivers or just wide receivers in general need to be good at in order to succeed with Aaron Rodgers? 608-796-2558. Twitter, at Wisco Grant. Send me your ideas. I will add them to the list. Here's Aaron Rodgers on Christian Watson. I thought he was pretty good yesterday. I thought he was pretty good today. So he asks a lot of questions. He cares about it. He comes over and you know, tries to get on the same page. And if anything happens, whether it's good or bad and different, so I enjoy his approach. But he's got, you know, he's got a different skill set. He's a big body who can run. And just got to get him a little more consistent, I think, uh, tracking the ball down the field. But he made a nice play in the two-minute uh, right there. So the thing that, that I've seen with him is just mentally the improvement from day to day yesterday we did a kind of spur of the moment adjustment in a in a period and i told him what to do in the huddle and it's something he's never done before and he went out and did it perfect and it's those little things like that that start to gain that trust and that confidence and, and get you excited about things trust and confidence so i would say like when i watch kirk cousins when i watch the vikings i remember so clearly 
watching a Vikings game. It might have even been a preseason game. I don't know. It doesn't matter what the game was. But in this game, it was fourth down and three, fourth down and two, something like that. It wasn't a, a huge Sunday night football game. I think it was a noon game, and I think I was here at work, and it was on the TV in the lobby, and I was just watching it. And Kirk Cousins threw the ball on fourth and two to Chad Beebe because Chad Beebe was wide open. So he threw him the ball. That's where the play went. That's who was open. So he threw the ball to the open guy. And in that moment, I thought, huh, I wish Aaron Rodgers would be more like Kirk Cousins in that sense. I wish Aaron Rodgers would be more like Kirk Cousins in, I don't really care who it is, uh, what number they wear, how long I played with them. If they are wide open, I'm going to throw them the ball. Sometimes I think Rodgers struggles with that. And I don't know if that manifested itself in the divisional round against the Niners last year, and that's why he didn't throw the ball to Alan Lazard. I also believe that Rodgers trusts Alan Lazard implicitly as much as any other player on the roster at the time not named Devontae Adams, right? So I I don't know if that was a trust thing. I think Rodgers just missed him. I don't think Rodgers saw him. I think he was dialed in on Adams and nothing else mattered. You need to build trust with Rodgers in a way that's bigger and grander than just simply getting open. So on my list here, we have freelancing. We have resilient, and I'm I'm going to write down trustworthy. That might spawn another list. There might be more bullet points under trustworthy, like uh, doesn't drop passes. But here's the thing. I remember in 2010, that run to the Super Bowl, James Jones was dropping passes. He dropped a huge one in Philadelphia going into half. Remember that? Rodgers went back to him. In the Super Bowl, Jordy Nelson was dropping passes. Rodgers kept going back to him. So I think there's a, a critical mass that you need to reach. A wide receiver needs to, get, needs to get to a certain point proving they won't drop the ball to get to a point where they can then drop the ball and still get thrown. The, does that make sense? Right? You need to go as a young wide receiver, you need to go long stretches and prove to Rodgers that you will catch the ball. And then once you prove that to him, then you can drop the ball and Rodgers will keep coming back to you. Although I wonder if you take 2020 Aaron Rodgers and put him in 2010 and put him in that Super Bowl and force him to play for the first two quarters with all these drops from Jordy Nelson and James Jones. And there were more. It wasn't just those two. I think Brett Swain had a drop in that game, although that one's a little bit more inconsequential. I think it was on third down, but I don't think Rodgers was... I don't think Rodgers was throwing to Brett Swain because he trusted him. He probably threw it to him because he was open. But then again, that's what I'm saying Rodgers doesn't do anymore. I remember, I think it was in 2020, fourth and two... It was late in the season. I don't remember who the Packers were playing. And it was fourth down, and they went for it, and they threw the ball to Malik Taylor. I'm like, oh, my God. Never thought I'd see the day. Malik Taylor getting a pass on third down, that's a lot of trust. So part of trustworthy doesn't drop passes. Um, What else goes into being trustworthy? I don't know. We can leave that part of the list open-ended. Freelancing, need to be able to freelance. You need to be able to be resilient. And that's what Matt LaFleur said about Romeo Dobbs. And now I don't remember where I saved that cut. Hold on. Dobbs is resilient. Here it is. This is Matt LaFleur the other day. Yeah, we'll see when we get there. I think uh, Romeo's a guy that we've got a lot of confidence in, and certainly he's he made some big plays. Uh, we mentioned the sale Roddy caught, and then um, the fade ball. I thought he, Jordan threw a nice ball, and he went up and got it. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's not going to be perfect. There's going to be some some lessons along the way, but I, I, he's a guy that is pretty resilient. He doesn't get phased by a negative play and he just keeps on playing. And so, um, you know, that's what excites you about him because you, you do see a guy that's got really good feet. He's got, he's really good in his transition. He's got a burst. 
Uh, he's been able to separate, which is something that, I mean, you can't, it's tough to coach. <laughs> if you guys can either do it or, or they can't. So, uh, you know, there's stuff to clean up for, for certain. But um, he's a guy that we are excited about, and we'll see where we are come week one. I wrote down burst, question mark, in a different column. That, I don't know if having a burst is um, exclusive to succeeding with Aaron Rodgers. I think we'd probably like all of our wide receivers to have a burst. I'm trying to really nail down what it's like to play with Aaron Rodgers. I, freelancing, resilient, trustworthy. Maybe you need to, well, I don't know. Does he need to be friends with Aaron Rodgers? I think Adams and Rodgers were colleagues. I think they worked really well together. I think Cobb and Rodgers are friends. Those two are buddy-buddy. They, you know, do dinners at each other's house. And, you know, Rogers talks about Randall Cobb's wife, Aira, Aira, I can't remember. He's dropped her name in a couple of press conferences. They just sit around and cry and reminisce together. So Rogers and Cobb are friends. I don't know that you need to be friends with Rogers to succeed. But I think in listening to Aaron Rodgers, describe Christian Watson and what he's good at. Describe Romeo Dobbs. We start to pick up on some traits that Rodgers might be looking for. Consistency is big. Let's write consistency down. I think we hear the word consistency a lot. Consistency. And consistency, see these things, there's layers to it. They tie together. Consistency leads to trust, right? You're going to get more balls thrown your way, right? This is all very connected. Uh, This has been uh, an exercise and making a list. Uh, I hope this is very enriching for everyone. Let's take a break. We're going to come back in two minutes. I want to mention the Brewers one more time to fill in those who didn't hear the very beginning of the show. And then we're going to talk more Packers. Tyler Davis had a big day in practice today. Maybe that's worth talking about. Mike Clemens joins the show in hour two as well. Wisco Sports Show back in two minutes. The Office. I mean, I'm not saying it's a sexual show, but if I were to try to outline a date and the date ends the way maybe I want, there is a bridge. The office is a bridge for getting to that destination. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Now, here's your host, Grant Bills. You know, we had Bill on at 4.30, and I was naturally going to ask him about the Jimmy Buffett concert. I didn't expect him to get too deep into it, and he didn't. And we talked some Packers things, and I just, for a moment, I want to appreciate the set list. I'm assuming that this is accurate, because I look at this website a lot for different set lists and different shows, because I'm curious. I'm a big set list guy. Something to know about me. Uh, This set is incredible. Starts with Why Don't We Get Drunk, which is an incredible poll. That's fantastic. Uh, I'm just going to pick through here. Other really underrated songs. Growing Older But Not Up. Very, very good song. Uh, Much better than the general public would lead you to believe. Uh, Let's see. Delaney Talks Statues. Shout out to the Fruitcakes crowd. Early 90s Buffett. Excellent. Um, Let's see here. Nobody From Nowhere. I was off... um, I can picture it. What, what is it called? Bama Breeze? What's the album with Bama Breeze? It doesn't matter. Nobody cares. Moving along. Uh, Little Martha got a Mac McAnally cover in there. That's fantastic. The end of the show is 10 out of 10. This is These are the last uh, six songs, including the, the encore. Ready for this? 
one particular harbor into Southern Cross, into Margaritaville. Encore begins with Scarlet Begonias into Last Mango in Paris, into Tin Cup Chalice, which might be my favorite Jimmy Buffett song. In fact, I think it is. The only song that this show is missing is Migration, and I would be perfectly fine seeing the show and not seeing Migration, because the rest of this is 10 out of 10. Fantastic. And we got a, a, a outline, a description of the party scene with the big unit and his crew as well. Bummed I couldn't be there. One day, one day I will see Jimmy Buffett again, and one day I'll go to Alpine Valley at some point. Maybe. We'll see. This is the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. The Brewers won one of the best games last night. Maybe one of the finest displays of Brewers baseball I've seen in 2020. If you stayed up for it, you were rewarded with a little action in the eighth inning. And then Jason Alexander closing it down, slamming the door in uh, in Jason Alexander style. Love that guy. Can't wait to tell my kids about Jason Alexander one day. And uh, Keston here hitting a tank. That was maybe my favorite moment of the game. That was the the moment of the game that took it from, you know, a B, B plus to an absolute 100% A+. Now Keston Hira launches one to deep left field. It's in the bleachers. Another one for Hira. His third in two days, and Mama and Papa love it. Probably the best Brewers game I've seen in a few months. Maybe one of my favorite games of the year. I want to start putting together at the end of every season a Mount Rushmore of Brewer games because I write down a little blurb about all the games. I'm very organized. My Google Drive, by the way, just to give you an idea, my Google Drive is 14.73 gigabytes of 15 gigabytes of storage use. My, my Google Drive is 98% full. Have you ever gotten close to filling up your Google Drive before? I'm not talking about taking too many videos and filling up your iPhone. This is next level hoarding of notes and things, etc. So at the end of the season, maybe I'll go back and I'll try to find, you know, what are the four most memorable games, my four favorite moments. We'll see if I end up doing it or not. Probably not. I'll probably get lazy. But I think last night at this point, it's on the Mount Rushmore. That was the best Brewer game I've seen, certainly in weeks, maybe a couple of months, because for the last month or so, even the Brewers' wins feel like pulling teeth, feel like going to the dentist a little bit. They've been winning in extra innings. They're winning by the skin of their teeth. And I felt relief. I felt relief when the Brewers have won for the last two or three weeks. Not joy, uh, not ecstasy. I, I haven't been thrilled, and I haven't felt awesome. I felt relief. Like I like I almost got sideswiped in an intersection, but didn't. Yeah, that, that's the feeling that these Brewers wins have been giving me. M- most of them, like I said, in extra innings, they're all one-run affairs. They're just really, really close. And when Council last night was asked about a couple runs in the eighth inning or the top of the ninth inning, rather, and the difference that made all these close games has taken a toll on this game. We've played so many close games lately um, that uh, to, to put a little gap in there and, and give us a little breathing room in the ninth was was obviously really nice. Plus an excuse for Craig Council to roll out Jason Alexander, which, you know, he so desperately wanted to do. <laughs> Some wins make you feel good. Other wins just don't make you feel bad. You know what I mean? It's like your boss calls you into the office. He looks upset. There's a weird feeling around the office. Something's up. Boss says, hey, uh, Mr. Bills, can I see you in my office, please? Thank you. Shuts the door. There's a difference between getting a raise and not getting fired. You know what I mean? That's the difference in the feeling. That's that's how I felt about the Brewers. It's like, well, yeah, I haven't gotten fired. I still got a job. Winning some of these games in extra innings. Last night, felt like I got a raise. Felt like my boss called me in and said, I want to give you a couple more thousand bucks a year. You've been doing good work, son. Keep it up. 
You know what I mean? Last night actually felt good. It didn't just not feel bad, if that makes sense. Last night's win reminded me of those wins that they had in Boston, Fenway, right before, you know, David Stearns shot this team in the foot in the trade deadline. The offense isn't perfect, and it'll still have its cold spells. But in moments here and there, can put together a little burst, some insurance runs, some rural mutual insurance runs, keeping with our network sponsors. In the, in the top of the ninth inning, making life a little bit easier. Instead of Devin Williams coming in and defending a one-run lead, we get Jason Alexander with four runs to work with. And that Keston Hira bomb. Keston Hira now, in his last X number of games, since July 1st. Let's talk about since July 1st. Keston Hira versus right-handed pitching, hitting 393, an OBP of 414. A little too on the nose for, um, for Milwaukee. A slugging percentage of just under 1,000, OPS over 1,300, which is nuts, and a WRC plus of 278. I don't know what that means, but that is very good. I do know that. So shout out to Keston Hira. Awesome moment last night, and he continues to progress, which has been a silver lining of the last week or so, even though the Brewers have been tough to watch. Although not last night, uh, unless you went to bed, then you missed out completely. Bummer. 608-796-2558. If you want to throw your Brewers take in the ring, you can. If you want to talk Packers, that's probably what we're going to do for most of the rest of the show. It's up to you. Give me a call or a text. FedEx Fred is here. Fred, it's been a while. What's going on? Oh, not too much, Grant. Nice. Um, I do have a question. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. What happens to the Brewers organization if they don't win the division and or make the playoffs this year? Do they blow them up? Do they blow the team up? Rebuild? Do they go out? Do they try to get big-name players? Or do they bring up a bunch of their, which I think are really good minor league players? Well, we're going to get someone called up here in the next week or so. And it's a damn shame. David Gasper's normally here on Tuesdays. I just would have asked him about this. I feel bad. we got to bump him to tomorrow. So we can ask him about some potential September call-ups. They're going to call up somebody late in this season. You know, maybe next year. They let Colton Wong go. Now there's a spot open in the infield, and they can call one of those guys up. Maybe Asteria Ruiz gets a crack at becoming an everyday center fielder. Tyrone Taylor's been fine, not great. I think if the Brewers don't make the playoffs and they fail to win the division, Fred, I don't think anything happens. I think that's the point. I think that's what David Stearns and the front office told us at the deadline. We're not going to do rebuilds. We're not going to tear it all the way down, and we're not going to go all the way in. So if the Brewers come up short this year, I think they're going to say, oh, shoot, we got some bad luck with injuries. Uh, let's try it again next year and hope that we get lucky, unlike this last season. I don't think they'll do anything if they miss the playoffs. And if they come within a game of the World Series, I don't think they'll do anything. I don't think they'll do anything, no matter the result. Oh, that's frustrating. That's yeah. frustrating. Yeah. Yes, it is. That's been uh, that's been the crux of the last couple of weeks. That's the reality that kind of slapped us across the face at the trade deadline when David Stern says we're never going to tolerate a long rebuild. And we're never going to go all in. We're not going to have these these years where we go all in, followed by these years where we tear it all down. We're just going to flatline right here and hope that we get lucky. And it is frustrating, Fred. I agree. Yes. Because I think winning a World Series is I – I wouldn't care if they win the World Series and then for the next four years they said we're rebuilding. If they did what the Cubs did, Damn I would straight. be a-okay with that. Damn straight. Because you won a World Series. That's your whole entire goal, isn't it? That's yeah, That's the goal on this show. I don't know about any other talk shows in the state of Wisconsin, but that is the idea, yes, to win championships. The Cubs, I, 
the Cubs get let off the hook easy. The Cubs have way more money than the Brewers. The Cubs could have paid Rizzo and Bryant. I don't blame them letting Baez go. That That's a unique situation. They could have kept Rizzo and Bryant. They could have paid those guys, and they didn't. Not because they didn't have the money, but because yeah. they didn't want to. They didn't. They weren't forced to trade those guys because they won a World Series. They chose to. The Brewers, on the other hand, they would probably have to tear it down. We let the Cubs off a little easy when we say that, you know, they, they had no choice. Right? They definitely had yeah. a choice. They definitely had a choice. But also, you, your goal is to win the World Series, not to just be consistently good to some years make the playoffs, some years not make the playoffs. Damn I just I find it frustrating because – it's like, how much more money do I need to go spend at Miller Park for you, for for them to get the point across of, hey, I want to see a World Series. I don't want to come here and watch a, uh, a team be like, oh, we were one game away from winning the division this year. But there's next year because we have everybody coming back again. You got to buy some more 1982 World Series commemorative gear to answer your question. I think that's what you need to do. I think you need to show well, them. Show them that championships matter, even championships that you lose. Maybe that'll get your message across, Fred. All righty. Thanks, Grant. <laughs> yeah, have a good one. That's our good buddy, FedEx Fred. Yeah, Fred, you don't want to watch a team that's content with just coming up short, and I don't think the Brewers players appreciate that either. We heard from Devin Williams right when the trade happened, and then Christian Yelich made a comment yesterday. I read from a story that Adam McKelvey put out over the weekend of Eric Lauer this is uh, this is one of the comments of many. It's a free story, MLB.com, Brewers.com. You can go read it. Lauer added, quote, I personally wasn't a huge fan of the way they described it to the public. I'm not trying to just get a bunch of bites of the apple, especially if things are going the way they are, the way the Brewers have historically traded before paying their guys. I don't know how many bites of the apple we can take in the next few years. We're not going to be able to afford a lot of guys in this room. Eric Lauer gets it. He's like, I don't want bites at the apple. I'm here now. I'm trying to win. And David Stearns at the deadline saying, well, I think guys get it. I think what they're trying to do. And I just laughed when he said that. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Explain the Apple thing to them, David. David. That'll that'll go over like a fart in church. Dan and Broadhead is here. 608-796-2558. What's up, Dan? Oh, not not too much, Grant. How you doing? I am doing swell. Uh, last night's Brewers game will keep me going for a while. I was starved for a game like that. Well, and this is the reason for my call. Number one, I wanted to uh, to revisit the whole uh, don't want to get hot in June and July. Rather get a little warm in August, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, screeching hot in uh, mm-hmm. in September. So do you still think that that's what's on the uh, docket for the, for the uh, Brewers? Well, I mean, look, getting hot in July doesn't prohibit you from also getting hot in September. Like you, you could just stay hot the whole year. You know what I mean? It's not like winning games in May is a bad thing. I just, I think that's how I'm rationalizing the season and holding out hope because they haven't gotten piping hot yet. I think this team does have a hot streak in them. We haven't seen it yet. So I'm just hoping that it happens. Schedule lines up. They got some off days, yeah. some home games, but we'll see. Yeah. My, that's the other reason why I was calling is to tell you that you shouldn't feel so bad because as you know, my white Sox were, you know, at the beginning of the season, Oh, well, we might see them in the World Series. And I don't think anybody realized that they had Tony La Russa in the dugout sleeping. Yeah. What's, um, what's, not, what's going on there? I, I I don't think we talk about that enough. The White Sox are really good. And it's not like they're just slightly underperforming. Like, they stink compared to how good they should be. 
their their entire uh, coaching staff should be fired at the end of the season from the trainers because they are like a bunch of graham crackers out there and they just crumble at every opportunity to get injured. They do. And then you got Tony LaRusa who, you know, falls asleep and, and uh, pulled, you know, throws a pitcher out there yesterday who should have been on an extra day of rest. And lo and behold, he injures his knee and can't even get out of the first inning. And they lose to a team who's 20 games under 500, you know, for like the seventh time this year. I think they're like seven and four again, or four and seven against the Royals. It's just, it, it, it's just, I can't even explain it how <laughs> irate I am at that guy that he still has a job. Well, the Brewers can't beat the Cubs or the Pirates or the Reds. They got to get out of the NL Central, go play in the NL West to get any wins, which just seems bizarre. So I I don't know. I don't think enough people pay attention to the AL Central, especially in Wisconsin, because we don't, you know, we're not a part of that league. We're not a part of that division. But you look at the standings, and you're like, wait a minute. I would not have guessed that's how it's lining up. That doesn't seem right at all. It's it's very bizarre. Yeah, but I guess Reinsdorf is just so enamored with Larusa. Any other organization would cut bait. They're like, this isn't working. We're gonna just we're gonna do what the Phillies did with Girardi. We're gonna do what the Blue Jays did. We're gonna find a new guy and just hope that it works. And if it doesn't, okay, we're no worse off. The White Sox are actually being unbelievably stubborn. He's taking the yeah, he's taking the talent and just driving it into the ground. I wanted to call you last week, but I didn't get through. He was actually um, advised by a fan sitting behind home plate to pinch run for the slowest guy <laughs> that you know, Grandal. Yeah, the fan had to tell him to run a faster player, and he, and he looked over and said, "You know what? You're right." <laughs> oh my god! It, it was it was just unbelievable. And my last point before I let you go. Yeah. I thought that our buddy, uh, Bo Thorson, you know, son of Thor, mm-hmm. um, I thought that, I know he has a, a big mouth, but I had no idea that he had a big enough mouth to have both Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love in it at the same time, but he's proven me wrong. <laughs> Uh, he, I know you don't want to touch that one. <laughs> no, I no, I think you said all that needed to be said right there, Dan. I appreciate that. That's a good note to end on. Thanks for the call. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Our friend, our friend Ebo. Yeah. That's, uh, that's Dan and Brodhead. Yeah. Our friend Ebo, he's, he's a big Aaron Rodgers guy. He was accusing me this morning when I went on his show of, of being a Rogers hater. I'm like, dude, do you, do you not know me at all? Do you not you know, listen to my show last week? All I did was defend Aaron Rodgers against the media, especially the national media. And then Zach corrected. It's like, well, it's not really the national media. It's local guys. And we're like, okay, semantics, whatever. But, you know, my point. Yeah, Ebo's big Aaron Rodgers guy these days, which is fair. He just won an MVP. Um, But you really painted a picture there, Dan. I appreciate that. Let's take a break. David Bakhtiari joined the Pat McAfee show today and outlined the timeline of his injury. Very interesting. I actually learned a lot. I feel like now I'm I'm kind of in the loop on what's been going on with Bakhtiari the last two years. I'm going to play for you some of that audio coming up next. It's the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Sports show. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. I I can't stop thinking about when we had Bill on last hour, and he asked me if I'd ever met Jimmy Buffett before. 
Give me a little too much credit there, Bill. Uh, no, I have not. Zach Brown, yeah. Oh, we're buddies. Uh, Pitbull. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kevin Cronin, Ario Speedwagon. Oh, yeah, we're tight, too. But uh, Jim Buffett, no. He's he's the one that eludes me. He's the one celebrity I haven't met. I, I was actually going to meet Buffett last year, and I had to go uh, have dinner with Tom Hanks instead. So, shoot. Still eludes, still eludes me. Have you ever met Jimmy Buffett? No. Uh, unfortunately, I have not. I'm trying to think who... The, Who's the most famous person I've met? Uh, it might be Bill. Sheesh. I don't meet anyone famous. I got to work on that. I need a celebrity story. Even if I just make one up, we can make one up. Write that in the list of topics for next year's All-Star break. I know it's about an hour away, uh, but by next year's All-Star break, I need to meet someone famous and come up with a famous person story. So add that to the list of things. We're making lots of lists today. My name is Grant Bills. Like I said, Twitter at Wisco Grant. You can call and text the show, 608-796-2558. Heard a little bit from Aaron Rodgers in the first hour of the show, and he described what Christian Watson is doing well, what Romeo Dobbs is doing well. Nice. Little status update. I said months ago, Rodgers is going to act like a teacher. Parent-teacher conferences once a week. He's going to give us an update. He's going to take it really seriously, and for the most part, that's been the case. So we heard from Aaron Rodgers. We've talked about the wide receivers a little bit. If you want to add on to that, you can. Call or a text. I also saved some audio today from the Pat McAfee show because I saw David Bakhtiari was on. I was like, oh, I'll save this real quick. Maybe that will be of use. Two questions and answers that I saved that I thought were good. Number one, Pat McAfee asking David Bakhtiari, is there any anxiety, any nerves getting back out into the practice field? Going into the practice, little nerves, or were you ready for it? No, no, definitely ready for it. I mean, it's been it's, 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 been, it's been a while. So, uh, But nerves-wise, I mean... No, not really. Uh, I mean, just a, a little bit of rust here and there, but uh, definitely some just much needed practice that I just miss. I just miss being out there with the guys. And there's something uh, to say, just you know, again, a helmet, some shoulder pads, joking right. uh, within practice instead of just the guy standing on the side, just making jokes like outside the white lines. That's a little bit of uh, not as fun. I think he's just missing the fellas, missing the guys. <laughs> I'm glad to hear there's no nerves. I mean. Not that he would probably admit to it, but I, I think I think he's been out so long, he doesn't have time to be nervous about the knee anymore, right? You know what I mean? It, it's almost like a brand new career for him. It's been so long. So it's not like he's returning to play. It's like he's becoming a football player once again. There's a big difference. Another soundbite from today's show that I saved, he basically just outlined the entire last two years of injury. And I found this really interesting because it kind of, Actually, it lets us behind the curtain a little bit of what has been going on this whole time. And it helps me to better understand the timeline and why this has taken so long, if that makes sense. Here is David Bakhtiari describing the progression of his injuries and three different surgeries over the last 20 months. Come back, thought that was all normal. Lions game? Is that Lions game? No, no, no. It, it was before the Lions game. I had another surgery uh, like when I was, we were supposed to honestly play before then, and then I ended up needing to go get a, a, a scope clean up which then pushed it, it back further to the Lions game and then they're like alright I'm like okay you guys want me to like, well, let's, let's do this uh, and then after that game I just I wasn't able to rebound I mean yeah of course it's a playoff game anyone wants to play it doesn't matter like what it is it's just it was in such a bad spot that there was no way that I could I could gear it up to play and even I mean I, I, I don't want to play the if game but I don't know when it could have rebounded then I'll, I'll help you with the time and then push forward. 
about they say uh, we talk about just take time off you'll be good right kind of getting close to OTAs I'm like hey I don't feel good still what is going on what was it it was tight swollen sore pain stabbing what was the feeling sure everything I just said yeah so it didn't feel healthy you're saying yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, I, I mean, you know when something's not right. Um, and again, I have nothing to base it off of. I've had it like this before, so, um, and I don't think many people have had it like the one I've currently been dealing with. So then I went in for number three with Neil Elitrosh out in L.A. Um, for another scope. And I felt, initially coming out, I felt really good. But then again, I have now three surgeries and shoot, 20 months. So, and I never really got out of the first surgery. And then it, you, it just kind of, it has a compounding effect. So now I have to kind of work off three surgeries and all the, you know, with the atrophy, the turning on the muscles again. So it's just been taking a long time. But I will say, like, this totally feels different than where I was last year at all. Like, I'm like, oh, okay, this yes. is actually. Let's go! Hey, yes. that's big news. I just heard all of Packers Nation celebrate right there. So, again, when it was announced that he had had another surgery, this was weeks ago. That was actually a relief to me. I thought, oh, okay, good. There was some other issue. There was something else prolonging this. Because if an ACL takes two years, it's probably not going to happen. But it wasn't just the ACL. There were all these other issues that stemmed from the first surgery, the second surgery. He has the third surgery. And I'm like, oh, okay, so there is a remedy. There's something else. There there was something else ailing him that needed to be fixed. Because I, I, I just wasn't sitting right that an ACL was taking this long. You know what I mean? So Bakhtiari finally gets that fixed, and it's good to hear him say, I feel normal for the first time in forever. Get back out there. Get actual guys in front of him. Start throwing some blocks. Start doing some drills. Good. So we're potentially getting Elton Jenkins back. Bakhtiari at some point. That offensive line goes from shaky, goes from a lot of question marks, to pretty damn good really quickly. Because if you have Bakhtiari, Jenkins, Zach Tom, who we like, Josh Myers, who they drafted high, now you're leaving one spot for John Runyon Jr. and Yash Nijman if you need another tackle to kind of stave things off until Bakhtiari comes back. We're in a good spot. Let's take a break. We'll chat with Mike Clemens coming up next on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Quite frankly, I want to see how these practices go. I told the guys I, I didn't think yesterday's practice was good enough. It's given these guys a great opportunity to go out there and show what they can do. That's Packers coach Matt LaFleur. Mike Clements is here. Mike, you tell me if I'm reading this incorrectly. Is Matt LaFleur saying... Have some good practices this week, or else I'll make you play in the preseason game this Thursday. Is that what he's doing? <laughs> yeah. Um, I way. don't know what he's doing. Yeah. I, you know, that's what I thought. Yeah. Because for 10 days, he's been dragging out, you know, I may need to play some starters. And I actually went up and down the sidelines today to talk to everybody that, that covers the team. Like, now, why did he do that? Yeah. Why did he do that? Because. He's he's not going to play the starters, and you know I've got a, a clip of him talking about that. We can play a little bit later on, but uh, to me, I think maybe what he's doing though is at the end of the day, it's got to be 
his team and those players in that locker room first. And I think that by saying publicly, I may be playing some of the starters, that means that any none of these players know what's happening the next day. Yeah. So you better be ready for anything. Sure. And I think that's at the end why he's doing that uh, overall is uh, he wants to, he wants the best practice out of you, and he wants you ready for the game, whether you're a starter or you know on the bubble as a player. So they they had to make some cuts today mm-hmm. to get down to 80 players. They're actually at 79. The first one started with. I'm not as surprised that. Um, this guy is no longer one of the top uh, offensive linemen. Cole Van Lannen, who yeah. grew up in Ashwaubenon, uh, you know, throwing distance from Lambeau Field, who said when he was a kid, he and his dad would watch the Packer games on TV. They could open up the windows to their first floor living room and hear the crowd from Lambeau Field watching football games on TV. That's cool. He uh, played for the Badgers, was an offensive tackle, um, I thought he kind of looked like a project last summer. I didn't think he improved much this spring. I, you know, I thought it would be a long process for him and that maybe practice squad. And instead, they got some value for him. Um, they uh, traded him to the Jag- Jacksonville Jaguars for a seventh-round pick today. So that's how they started their reductions to get down to 80. Yeah. Kylan Hill is the running back who was the return man they had last year who suffered a torn ACL on a kickoff return against the Cardinals. He's been standing there every day out there watching, you know, this Tyler Goodson and Patrick Taylor, number 27, big-bodied back, and Dexter Williams, a former draft pick that they brought back, competing for that third running back position. Kylan was placed on the PUP, which means he can't play for another four weeks as he returns from an ACL. Danny Davis from Wisconsin, who's smart, sharp, Undersized here by NFL terms, but made some nice plays, especially in the 49ers game. But he's been injured, so they released him today. And Vernon Scott, who's number 36, who otherwise might be their number one choice for backup safety behind Savage and Adrian Amos. But, you know, uh, Shannon Sullivan went and signed with the Vikings. So they're, they're short at backup safety. Both those guys were released today. Now... Next week, when they have to get to 53, then they have to wait for guys to clear on waivers. Then they can put some of these guys on practice squad. Maybe that's what happens to Danny Davis next week. I don't know. We'll have to see. Was the Vernon Scott cut um, surprising? I I was just looking at the tweets, and as it happened, and I look, I don't think about Vernon Scott a lot. I don't think of him as a huge contributor on this team, but they don't exactly have a lot of depth at safety. Talk me through that move a little bit, maybe why that happened. They like the way he plays. But he's been injured for over a year. Okay. And then he got injured twice in this camp. And I don't, you know, we don't know how bad the shoulder is because once they, these guys get injured, they tend to disappear from the locker room. And then you can't, you know, and, they, you know, they're not crazy about you talking to guys that are inactive with injuries anyway. Sure. Uh, so I don't know what the severity of that injury is. Uh, otherwise, that, that also might say that under Goody, we're not going to wait two and a half, three years like they did with, you know, uh, like Casey Hayward, Hayward, you know, yeah. four or five years ago. Um, we're we're gonna um, we're just gonna move on. So we'll see uh, if they bring him back. But again, uh, they're down to seventy nine players. Maybe they have to sign another safety off the street as these other teams make uh, their cuts because 
they're they're short at safety right now in camp. What's Kylan Hill's role on this team? I know he's heard he's going to be at least out the first four games because that's how the PUP works. But do you get a sense that when he comes back, they expect things of him? Because I remember he was actually one of the draft picks I was most excited about from last year's draft class. And then he got hurt. He's going to be the special teams guy and this this extra running back behind Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. What, what's his role yeah. right now? Well, he would have been, you know, the, the returner, kick returner. Yeah. He's coming back from an ACL. And, you know, so you want to know how much that's affected at speed. That third running back between uh, speedy uh, Aaron Jones and fullback-sized uh, A.J. Dillon, um, is your third guy, is he going to be a big-body guy to help with pass protection, or is he going to be a backup for speed if Aaron Jones needs to miss a game? And so, that you know, the, the, this Kylan Hill would be the Aaron Jones kind of prototype for a back. Sure. But, again, right now, it'll be maybe a couple of months before he's 100% and can play football anyway. So uh, the next thing comes to the discussions about wide receivers. Mm-hmm. And last week, you know, I told you that, uh, I mean, the national media kind of just ran with it. I don't even think some of them played clips. They just said, oh, there goes Aaron Rodgers again. He's ripping on his uh, young receivers, and he's complaining, and he's calling them out. And it's like, no, he, he was answering questions. Yeah. <laughs> He had just he had seen some mistakes made in the 49ers game where Jordan Love had three picks. Uh, he had seen some mistakes. They just come off the practice field after playing uh, or going against the Saints in a joint practice. And uh, so when we asked him questions, you know, he gave us straightforward, direct answers like, yeah, you keep dropping the ball. You don't have to worry about improving. You're just not going to touch the field. You know, you're not going to be on the team. And so then after the performance, the improved performance by guys like Dobbs and Juwan Winfrey, and, yeah. and now they're starting to get Christian Watson back on the field, um, you know, I think he knows that uh, he's seen some progress. He's talked with those guys. He's had meetings with them. And so yesterday, you know, we were at his locker, and you could hear Aaron Rodgers, uh, you know, knowing that maybe he doesn't have to be so harsh on these guys, that, you know, that he's seeing improvement with them. Here's what he said. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to be real about the expectations with all those guys and then hold them at the same time, hold them to a standard of what they're capable of at this time uh, based on those expectations that are realistic. So, you know, it used to take, Brett, a couple weeks in camp to get it going. You come to minicamp, looks like you've been here two weeks. But do you think some of these younger guys would be further along? If you'd done some of the OTAs with them, <laughs> uh, you know, not really. Um, training camp is a long experience. There's plenty of time for conversations, for practice, for a lot of the things that we expect them to do in the regular season. I rely on the coaching staff to pass on the message as we're learning the offense. And then, you know, I'm kind of the, the 202 professor. You know, they got to get the kind of the base concepts. And when I come in, you know, we have, you know, the offense outside of the paper offense. So um, I feel like there's been a few guys who've made a jump mentally as we've gotten into the second and third week of camp. Um, Sammy being one of them, I feel like he's been playing faster and making more precise decisions. Again, you got to have realistic expectations for all our guys, not just the young players. You know, similar schedule last year. We came in and hit the ground running. Obviously, some different players this year, but I feel like the offense especially in the last week or so, has been 
clicking closer to where I think we should be trending. Mike, he talks about the offense with like Aaron Rodgers additions, right? So you learn the base offense and then Rodgers likes to make tweaks and add these other things. I heard him talking about Christian Watson and how he kind of presented him with an idea in the huddle and said, let's try this. And he executed it perfectly. That's a good sign. Christian Watson's a smart kid. Yeah. And he's six foot four and he's fast. And yesterday Jordan Love was trying to move the ball down the field uh, in a, um, you know, two-minute offense, and like he had 50 seconds left on the clock and maybe 45 yards to go to get within field goal range, and he tried to throw a ball with Rico Gafford, number 37, in coverage to Jawan Winfrey at the sidelines. They like, you know, catch the ball and then get out of bounds. And Gafford was like between him and the quarterback, and so then Jawan's like trying to reach around him, like reach around his waist to catch the football. You know, goes off his fingers incomplete. Yeah. Now it's fourth down. So instead... Jordan then gets number nine, Christian Watson, lineup. He runs the same route down the down the side, and only this time, Love is able to loft the ball in the air, jump ball. Rico Gafford's five ten, uh, Christian Watson's six four with great hands, and he just plucked the ball. You know, as one guy said, he got mossed. Yeah. You know, and it's like, oh boy, that would be why they drafted this guy. Yeah. But for me, so Aaron is saying this. It's like, you know, I, I haven't got time for six weeks of NFL receiver 101. I'm, when, when you get to your sophomore and junior year, that's when Professor Rogers takes over. Okay, that's great for meetings, Aaron. But the fact of the matter is he wasn't here at all the OTAs again this spring. He showed up for a practice and a half during the uh, mandatory minicamp in June, and it's unbelievable how much that guy elevates the energy of the practice field. I bet. There's no comparison. I bet. And he is still unbelievable in his throws. And that's why I said to him in that question, you know, he used to stand out here and watch Favre take two and a half weeks to get it going. And Bob McGinn would say, oh, it looks like his, you know, his, his career's on the downside because he threw four interceptions in practice today. And then, of course, Favre would go out and then take you to the playoffs and the NFC Championship and on and on and on. But the fact that Aaron Rodgers comes into minicamp 110%, that's great, but you've got to – there's reps. You've got to have reps with these guys. Yeah. And so to be standing there three and a half weeks into practice and say, yeah, these young guys are far behind, well, then come to the OTAs. So a year ago at this time, the Packers were having a pretty good camp. Rodgers had, had settled up after missing the whole offseason, deciding he was going to come back. He reported on time, and they were two or three weeks into camp, and then they went through their preseason games. And then – they got on a plane and went to Jacksonville to play the Saints because of a hurricane in New Orleans shifted the game. It was hot. They kind of had a lovely evening the night before at one of the nicest golf courses in the country, and they they got their asses kicked. I mean, they lost 38-3 to yep. to Sean Payton and Jameis Winston and the Saints. Not great. Four weeks later, they won four games in a row. And it's, it's October, and so now the Packers can come up from there. They feel pretty good about themselves. And we asked Mercedes Lewis, why were you guys so flat against the Saints in the season opener? Like, you think about it, you know, Aaron wasn't here uh, for, you know, the offseason stuff. And, you know, that first game was tough for us, just getting back on the same page, obviously. And you, we kind of used that as, like, a preseason game for everybody. Uh, and then from there, it's just about getting better every single week and uh, being able to, when there is adversity, being able to acknowledge that and flush it 
and, and moving forward. And I think we've been able to do that. Uh, we're, we're definitely a resilient team. And you get towards the end of the year, you know, winning those close games and being battle-tested, that's what it comes down to. We've shown so far that we can win those close games. We lead on each other. We don't point fingers. And everybody just be accountable to each other. Uh, I think that's really our identity is. I... It's not that he was blaming Rodgers. That's not it. But it was interesting saying, well, you know, Rodgers wasn't here, and then it was tough for us to do this, that, the other thing. I, I guess, I don't know, it just surprises me a little bit that he worded it that way, Mike. Right. Well, but I, he's being honest. Yeah. So that was from last October. He was saying, yeah, I guess that first game of the year, since we didn't, none of us, 30 of us starters didn't play in the preseason, that ended up being our preseason game. Well, this year, you, you're playing the Vikings in Minnesota. I mean, you can't afford that kind of letdown. Yeah. And yet, so far, the template is going to be the same. Now, if we're running late, I can skip through what LaFleur had to say today, basically sure. basing his decision, I'm not going to play starters because it's too risky to get a guys hurt. I think I can get these guys ready within practice, you know, yada, yada, yada. Um, and so, yeah, they're just like they did last Friday night, they're going to rest 30 starters, and they're going to let the twos and the threes battle it out there for jobs against the Chiefs on Thursday night. Um, but I did have this conversation with Jordan Love because there was two plays that if you want proof that the kid is, in fact, making progress, go to the second quarter, early in the second quarter, in the game Friday night against the Saints. And he takes them 11 plays, 80 yards down the field. There was one play where it's second and one from his own 47, and you think, okay, probably a running play. And he goes play action. He fakes to the to the running back. He takes his steps, three, four, five, stands behind the left guard and delivers a perfect pass behind the coverage uh, to Jawan Winfrey, who has crossed the field. I asked LaFleur how complicated that play was. He told me very. He said, you know, what made that play is the fact is that, that, that the rookie, Romeo uh, Dobbs, had made run such a great route that cleared out the safety so that Winfrey could cross the field, both hash marks to the opposite way, put his hand up in the air and catch it. That's a complicated play, and I asked Jordan Love about it. Yeah, I think just getting to the top of the drop, having the rhythm at the top, and then uh, I think Juwan ran a good route, was able to get in front of the DB, and you know, it's one of those balls you just got to put in the right spot, and uh, the back was trying to get under underneath it. Um, I saw him just put it over the top of him. Is that one of the more complicated calls? Because it just seems like the play action time has got to be right, the footwork, where you put the ball, and to him to be there in the spot on time. Yeah, they're, they're longer developing plays. Um, a little bit more complex, but you know those are the ones I like. You know, be able to get the play action, get the backers to suck up a little bit, and be able to get the routes behind them. Uh, those are the plays I like. But yeah, they they are a little bit longer developing. On your touchdown ball to Romeo, that's a crazy throw, fastball, and he makes a hell of a catch. Right when you look at that on tape, do you say, oh, maybe that should have been a touch ball in the backhand corner? Or do you trust that that guy can make a play like that for you? Is that a safe play because you can, hey, if, if it misses, it's it's safe and it goes out of bounds? Yeah, no, I think, you know, you get a one-on-one matchup with, with Romeo out there. Um, we had the fade called. I know he's going to go up and get it. It's just, you know, we've got to put the ball in the right spot, give him a chance. And, you know, we got it off so quick that the DB didn't have time to really react to it. But, yeah, no, let's just trust, you know, trust Romeo's going to go up there and get it. 
Um, but yeah, like you said, it's a safe play. Um, if he doesn't get it, put it where nobody else can get it. But, you know, he made a great play right there, going up, catching it, strong hands, and uh, controlled to the ground. Jordan, on that ball, when you flash and see it open, you say fastball. Is that what, is kind of the way your reaction to it? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like it's it's a quicker play. You know, you got to react quick and kind of see how the DB's playing it, see how his release is. You know, he kind of beat off the line. There was a little bit of room right there. So it was kind of a jump ball all the way. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, you could throw it different ways, but the way the DB was playing it and the way Romeo, you know, kind of got up to him on the line, um, and it, it depends on who you have out there too. But I trust Romeo, you know, he's going to go win a jump ball with whoever's out there. So it's just it's just trust ball, really. Thanks, Jordan. Help if I turn my mic on. Mike, we got about two minutes here. Do you think it's helpful for Jordan Love to actually do some longer, deeper developing plays? I think we think keep it easy, keep it short, keep the checkdowns going. Maybe it helps a young quarterback to actually let the field breathe a little bit, let everybody space out. Is that actually beneficial, not just doing checkdowns, but taking some shots down the field? It's got to help him, right? Well, yeah, but it's that timing. That yeah. he's able to get, you know, Jawan Winfrey. It's not like he's doing this with Watkins or Cobb. He's able to pull that play off the ones and twos mixed defense that New Orleans had on the field on Friday night. What I'm saying is that's progress, man. You know, to, to, to have the timing of the play down that way, and he's doing this with the twos, um, that's showing that's the stuff that Goodikins needs to say, all right, he keeps getting better every time we put this stuff in front of him. And if we put better players around him, and Lafleur can find, hey, you know, that's a play that he likes. That's a play that he's capable of running. That's just that's just a really positive development to see, as they have to make this final evaluation on what they're going to do with Jordan Love. So, hey, Mark Murphy, the the CEO, did an interview last night. Mm-hmm. He said they thought that the Saints' joint practices went great. So next year they have two home games. Uh, in the preseason, after you know, this year they just had one. They may bring up two teams for joint practices next summer. Uh, they love that soccer game that they had before camp. They'll probably bring more soccer teams to Lambeau Field. And then he was asked, "What about concerts?" Because you know they've had Billy Joel and yeah. Paul McCartney. And uh, Murphy said, "Before I retire, I'd like to bring Bruce Springsteen to Lambeau Field." <laughs> Got to bring him in the winter so you can get on the sledding hill, too. I got to come back yeah. when it's cold, get a picture of him going down the sledding hill. Then Mark can really retire. Then he can really Playing retire. Playing 10th Avenue is a 10th Avenue freeze out, yeah. Oh, absolutely. my God. All right, Mike, thank you. Well, can we talk again on Thursday? Talk to you at 530, pal. I appreciate that, Mike. Have a good one. That's Mike Clements, at Mike Clemens NFL on Twitter. We appreciate his time. He's one of the hardest working people I know. Let's take a break. Come back in three minutes. Wrap up the Wisco Sports Show after this. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. Last couple of minutes here of the show. Appreciate Mike Clements for his time. Appreciate Bill Michaels, both guests of the show. And uh, we appreciate David Gasper. R.I.P. He's not dead. He just couldn't. I, we had to bump him today because Bill couldn't do tomorrow and Gasper can do tomorrow. So feel bad. The Brewers win another big game tonight. Just think of how electric it's going to be with Gasper tomorrow. They'll be 2-0 and on the season if the Brewers win tonight. I've decided that for show conversation purposes, the season started again anew last night. Fresh start. And we're only paying attention to what happens from here on out. And I don't know if you saw, but the Cardinals lost the first game of their doubleheader today. 
and in almost Brewers fashion, going 0 for 10 with runners in scoring position, leaving 11 runners on. That's good stuff. Let's get more of that. Come on, Cubs. Need the Cubs to get hot. Really beat up on the Cardinals. Take some games. I think the Brewers are, what, four and a half, five back? I don't know. doesn't matter. A lot of season left. The the entire season left. Season just started. Started anew last night. (laughs) We're staying up late again tonight. Hashtag Brewers in bed. My favorite type of game to tweet through. So if you're up and awake, let's tweet back and forth tonight during Brewers-Dodgers. We'll talk more Packers tomorrow and, of course, talk more Brewers as well. Have an awesome night. Get as little sleep as possible after the Brewer game. I'll talk to you tomorrow at 4.